Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to the Canberra Business Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Dorb. We've got another fantastic guest for you today. Louise Curtis from Lollipots, from Hamperesque and Pink Frosting. Has a lot of free time on her hands. An amazing businesswoman, entrepreneur. We're going to do. We're going to talk more about. You will have heard her accolades in the intro, but we'll get more to that as we go. What I wanted to do, Louise, is start with a really tough question. I think it's probably the most. I think most business owners listening to this today will find this the most compelling question in their own business life. The swans are fourth on the ladder. Yes. At twenty-eight points. <laughs> How are you feeling? I'm very confident, actually. Really? Yeah, it's um, it's pretty good that they're in fourth place. Yeah, um, it's far better than last year's performance. So, um, yeah, now I'm feeling pretty good about the year ahead. I don't know that they'll make the grand final. I'm tipping a West Coast Richmond grand really? final, but um, we'll be there towards the end. One of the questions that we always ask towards the end of the podcast is, "What do you do for fun? How do you have a life outside of business?" Mm. And in your answers, you're you're a little bit of a fan of the Sydney Swans. Yeah, I am. I was really fortunate. I, I'm from Sydney originally yep. and uh, my father took me to the... He was a very good rugby player and we always supported rugby and we were always supporting s- different sports on yeah. the weekend. And the Swans were moving from Melbourne to Sydney. He said, let's just go and see what this is about. Yeah. And the entire family have remained members since that day. Really? And you're going up there almost every second Every week? fortnight, yeah. I'm pretty passionate about it. My sister lives in... Um, Pottsville, which is up near Byron, and okay. and she flies down for every game, and um, I travel with the kids up to Sydney for every game. Really? Uh, yeah, we're pretty hardcore. It's just one thing in our life that um, I guess it keeps the family together yeah. as well, so we all catch up at those games. Nobody lives in Sydney anymore, okay. but everybody comes in. We've had the same seats at the SCG for over 30 years. Really? Yeah, and so we sort of have a family there, yeah. and even people who have sat around us... Um, it's been just something that has been, um, you know, you talk about what, what do I do for fun. It's certainly been something that has been an escape for me yeah. in my, while I've been in, on my business journey that um, I could just switch off and go to the footy and just absolutely love it. Because your business life is pretty relaxed. There's not much happening, right? No. You kind of wake up each morning going, what will I do today? Yeah, I sort of wake up thinking, can I just get through the day without any big drama? <laughs> so really. we're going to get to this, but I want to ask you a couple of things first. What's your best memory of going to the Swans so far? What's, what's something you look back on and what's a good memory? Okay, so it's probably, um, there's, there's probably five great memories, really great memories of the Swans. Um, but one of my best ones was obviously the 2005 Grand Final, which we won, but it wasn't actually the beginning of the game. It was um, when the players ran on. I'm probably going to cry as I say this <laughs> to you. But when the players ran on the field... That day in the yeah. grand final in 2005, the sense of pride I felt was extraordinary. See, I'm tearing up talking yeah. about it. Um, the The sense of pride was extraordinary and it was something that I will never forget. I actually didn't see the last dying seconds of that game because I had my head between my knees oh, and I was hyperventilating. Really? <laughs> and my husband was trying to find out from someone how many yeah. seconds was left because, of course, he didn't know how long was to go. Yeah. And um, so I never saw um, Leo Barry take that mark live. Yeah. Um, but it was just, you know, it was extraordinary that day. That was, it was probably, I mean, that was so great because it had been such a long time. Yeah. The next grand final was great. But um, my favourite player 
throughout my um, sort of long history of supporting the club yeah. has been surprisingly Barry Hall. Oh, really? Yeah, most people are shocked by Bro- that. Broke a few jaws <laughs> in his time. Yeah, I sort of didn't. You know, when he punched a few guys and everyone's you know, outraged, I was thinking, well, it's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really just, not that he's bad. He's overly affectionate. Yeah, That's all it's, it's, say, not, yeah. it's really not that bad. But um, I'm now heavily involved in the GWS Giants sure. in Canberra, yeah, even yeah. though they know I'm a swan. Um and a couple of years ago, they did the uh, provided the ultimate gesture to me, and that yeah. was um, they had Barry Hall in Canberra for something, and they allowed me to bring ten of my closest Swans friends, really? and I got to spend two and a half hours with Barry Hall. Did you really? Yeah, just at the Arbor Reed, and we had a morning tea, and he was all mine, and I could ask him anything I wanted to. He's, and we a, talked he's a big 40. guy, is he? Yeah, he is, and he's a he's a real gentle giant. Yeah. I mean, he's just um, we we just had this two and a half hours of just talking footy and I was sort of saying to him, you know, what about this game and what about this and, um, you know, why did you do that? I'm yeah. asking him things about, you know, certain parts in games and, and it was just it was just such a wonderful yeah. moment for me. That was So that was another highlight. Well, well ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Canberra AFL podcast. My <laughs> name is Jonathan Doyle. But what we're getting to is that this the business journey for so many people listening and for you is... Uh, intense um pat quaid was on yesterday and people would have heard this in, in if they've listened to his episode i woke up two nights ago at 2 a.m just not so much worried but just juggling so much and i hate when i can't sleep and i was saying to karen i was like oh it must be something wrong with me and I, you know i've got too much on and i'm getting all serious about it and then pat's sitting there and pat's got you know 250 staff now and same thing 2 a.m just wide awake so for many of us in business and for you it's a pretty intense journey um so this is, I guess, this sport's been a huge part of just managing that. Yeah, switching off, um, you know, in my hardest times were probably around 2012. Yeah. And again, just going to the footy, the release of, yeah. of going to the footy and um, seeing your team perform yeah. and just having that sort of um, external, yeah, yeah, but something external that you can just escape in. Because you, is your mind running a million miles an hour with the business in general? Most yeah, of the time? generally. Um, so with with lollipops. So my first business was Hamperesque. Yeah, yeah. Hamperesque has now been um, basically um, it's it's sort of been um, taken over by lollipops. If yeah. you like, we still have many of our corporate clients, yeah. but um, and lollipops, I stopped franchising because yeah. the franchising world was just too hard yeah. it was just um it's not for the faint-hearted well it's just it's, I, just, I just think the whole franchising system is flawed completely yeah. why, um, do you, why do you think that what specifically uh, well gosh how long have we got <laughs> yeah. welcome, to, uh, welcome to the first episode um, in the louise curtis podcast series yeah. this week we're covering um, barry hall and uh, and franchising models no so what? so franchising um you know i was very lucky with franchising i yeah. i had the fastest growing franchise ever yeah. you know within 19 months i think i had or within yeah, two years i had 19 franchises yeah. and then within four years i had 45 franchises yeah. in three countries um but what i didn't understand when i took on franchises was that they weren't me yeah. you know i whilst i had a system that worked and whilst i had a system that um could make people money mm. They actually had to work, yeah. and um, and I probably never really thought about how much of a hard worker I was. Yeah. That I made my business successful because I I actually you did made it. it happen. Um, and so what happened with franchising is that um, 
we had so 45 franchises and six of them were excelling like yeah. like my business was yeah. that we were all just absolutely killing it how do you explain that people people yeah um so we all had the same tools we all had the same product we all yeah. had the same marketing yeah. um so but we didn't all have the same ability yeah. or want to work and um you know within a couple of years of franchising the, the crack started to show because mm. um people just weren't as hard working as what I was. They weren't prepared to, you know, do seven days a week if that was required that yeah. week. They weren't prepared to put money into mar- extra marketing. They weren't prepared to go out and door knock or mm. find business. You know, they were too lazy. They thought, well, I'm going to just buy into this franchise and, and they'll generate the work. They just print the money. Yeah. And, of course, that's not what it's like. That's, there's no business on this earth mm. that you can do that. You can't, you know, pay 50, 60, 70 grand for a franchise mm. And expect to make 300 grand a year without yeah. working hard yeah. and they just didn't do it so um, franchising was just um, for me it was an incredible journey I you know a lot of people say to me would you do it again and I'd say to people I probably would because yeah. of the experiences I've had um, but at the end of 2013 I decided that I'd had enough um, it was really at the same time as um, if you recall all those pizza restaurants in Melbourne and yeah. um, the 7-Eleven chains of starting all of the uh, media around underpaying, underpaying of wages. Underpaying the 7-Eleven guys, yeah. Yeah, that? And, and that was happening in a lot of um, sort of pizza-style franchises as well and fast food outlets. And, and then there was talk about making the franchisors responsible for uh, the actions of their franchisees yeah. in terms of wages. And when that you know when when i saw that in in black and white yeah. that just made me think you know do i really want to risk this and am i going to risk our livelihood yeah. for um these things franchises you can't control. Yeah, things i can't control and and with lollipops you know there was a lot of people who were employing family and friends and probably they probably were paying them under the table sure. so i couldn't control that no and i didn't want to control that and i didn't want to be responsible for it yeah. so i had to make a decision to move on from franchising and that's yeah. not so easy when you've no, got 45 franchises. invested in it, yeah. Um, so, you know, I remember getting some advice and, um, you know, my lawyer said to me, you can't do it, you're just going to have to sell the whole franchise. And I said, well, I don't really want to because mm. I've got a really great business in Canberra mm. that I'd like to keep. That's my livelihood. Um, and I don't believe I'd get what, I, what it's worth. Yeah. Um, so I made a decision to set the franchises that were good free yeah and i said to them take my ip take the products really? take everything just call your business a different name really? and yeah and just go and then the other 39 i spent the next three years removing from the franchise system so why not push into some kind of earn out or buy out why, why cut them loose you just needed that i just needed it it was just yeah it was just this was too much i wasn't making anything from the the poor performers were draining all our resources sure so the money i, I actually felt quite bad for the high performers because mm. um you know we could we couldn't support them as well as what we had hoped because we're putting all our resources into these non-performers. So it just got to a point where I didn't think I had the, I guess, the mental capacity to deal with it anymore. Yeah, and I just, 
I wanted out. You're, you're raising so much. And uh, when you talk about that t- period of time where 7-Eleven was starting to come on the radar and, and then you mentioned that government's going to make franchisors responsible. And um, it's a question I think about a lot. The, the long arm of government, and this is a private enterprise podcast because I'm passionate about private enterprise, you know, you look at that interplay between, I mean, that's a law that's a reactionary law. It's like something bad's happening. But you can see how there's this constant to make great law is hard because that's a disincentive, right? I mean, it, it, it makes people like you get out of the game to, to protect or, or as a response to some people doing really bad stuff. Correct. And I think, um, I mean, what, what I guess this has done in terms of franchising, there's a lot of news around franchising and the problems yeah. at the moment, yeah, um, right. which, you know, I'm surprised it's taken this long, this long to, to come be, out. To, yeah, I mean, I... I remember removing myself from from membership from the Franchise Council because I just didn't believe that the systems were working. I mean, why I think it's completely flawed is that in the case of my business where someone was spending less than 100 grand, so in any franchise where you're buying, uh, I guess, a business model for less than 100 grand, and particularly when it can be run from home, um, it's 100 grand. It's not $3 million. Sure. And a hundred grand to make you work is generally and sadly not enough for most people to work hard. If, however, you're buying a franchise for half a million dollars, so let's say you're buying one of the more well-known franchises, and with that franchise you're also tying yourself into a Westfield lease, which is a couple of hundred grand a year, and you're tying yourself into a million dollars worth of wages. Big skin in the game. Yeah, it's it actually is, and that is enough to make you get out of bed. It is, and and that's but that and then I think that's the issue with the current franchising system, and you hear about you know the likes of Donut King and these guys are tied into enormous enormous expenditure and overheads, and if they if they give it up they lose everything, but if people give up a hundred thousand dollar franchise, it's they can rebuild. They can take the hit and start again. But we're in such a disruptive disrupted moment in history like you look at when you and i growing up even you know uh, westfields were you'd go to westfields it was all there but but that is so disrupted and i've heard a lot of interesting thinking around how they're redesigning them as kind of civic spaces where people come for experiences but listen i wanted to pick up on something really important you're talking about which is around work so i have a favorite quote that will make some listeners choke on their cornflakes it's from margaret thatcher who uh, in one speech she said may our children grow tall and some taller than others if they have it in them to do so. I've always liked that. I've always believed that, that meritocracies are important. Um, I, can, I can understand there could be excesses. You talked earlier on about, you know, you had six franchisees operating really well and working, many that didn't. And you talk about your own work ethic. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about where you learned it. I want to talk about was it modelled growing up? Where has work, how have you, what happens in your brain? You in, do you love work? Do you enjoy it? Where's it come from? I do love work. Um, it's, it's actually, I, I get asked this a lot and it's funny because, um, you know, I, I talk about being, when I, when I speak, I often start off talking about having middle child syndrome. You know, yeah. I was born between two siblings who are highly intelligent and my sister has five degrees. Yeah. My brother has a doctorate. Yeah. I... I don't have a university degree. <laughs> well, no, you've, got, you've got what Tony Robbins used to call you've got a, you've got a PhD in, in results. Yeah, in life, in yeah, yeah. resilience. Yeah. Um, so 
it was interesting my childhood because my parents always thought I was a dummy and I remember uh. something that has just stuck with me all my life is when I was 15 my father sat me down at the dining table and he said love someone what you need to do is is learn how to type and then Dear someone Lord. will marry you oh no and you know that stuck with me but I think with the benefit of hindsight my parents did me a very big favour and what yeah. they did was they sent me to this very Catholic, very um, di- uh, very disciplined um, secretarial college wow. in Sydney where, you know, we had to, if we crossed our legs, they tied our legs to the chairs right. and it was just extraordinary. <laughs> it was, you know, nothing like that would exist now. Yeah. We learned how to type on old... You know, those old yeah. manual typewriters, even when computer, computers were there. You yeah. know, I'm not that old. But, um, you know, and I learned how to do shorthand. And that was the best thing my parents could have ever done for me because those skills um, I still... You know, people say to me now, oh, my God, how, how can you type so fast? But I remember when I was um, 18, I won... Um, a competition for the youngest, fastest typist in Australia. (laughs) So you're like, I've found a way. I am going to keep going. Um, But I, I, so I left business college and I went to work in a number of different law firms and and I found that very interesting. And I ended up going and becoming a a mature age student at uni to study law. And I hated it. It was like I fell asleep every tutorial. It was so bad. It was so boring. And I was thought, this because you thought you should be a lawyer? Well, would, I just would thought that I've, make your parents happy? That kind well, of thing, I just, no, I just thought I was quite interested in it because yeah. I was working around that environment. Yeah, okay. Yep. But uh, I ended up giving that away. Um, Why? But I oh, was just bored. I just it didn't interest me at all. I'm not um, someone who can sit down in front of a textbook. I just no. can't do it. it. Just I haven't got, I haven't got any desire to do that Do you ever. read much apart from no. these days? Oh, I do read. I do read sort of business books, sure. but I don't read. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't read a lot. I don't okay. read novels. Okay. You know, people give me novels for... The kids gave me three novels for Mother's Day and I'm thinking, you can find when those, am I going to read you, you can find those novels on eBay now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, anyway, so you're, I, you're, you're I, I worked in law firms yeah. and, and, um, and then I, at about age 22, I ended up working for a guy called Ralph Galilee and he had just left sort of the corporate he was a lawyer but he'd left the corporate environment to start his own practice and he said to me you know I really want to grow my business and I really want to uh, make this really successful and so I started with him it was just me and him when I was 22 and I left him when I was 30 and we had 85 staff when I left. Stop it. So the thing in that time was I learned so much from him he was like a father figure to me yeah. and he believed in me. And I think he um, he just, he taught me so much. I, and I learned so much, you know, going back to why, what my parents did and in the, in the, the ultimate favour they did for me was, you know, sending me to secretarial school. Yeah. Um, was that I was in a situation where I was exposed to a very busy commercial practice and I saw all sorts of things from, you know, family law to yeah. legal disputes, um, financial business. Um, so I, I had a huge exposure to that side um, of society, I guess. And I, I understood it and I, and I got very good business, a very good business grounding from that. And still today I, I use those skills and... Yeah. Um, you know, I've got that sort of, that's been the core or the backbone of, of my um, business knowledge, I guess. That, that experience with Ralph. 
Yeah, and then when I left him, you know, you talk about your favourite sayings. I've got, I've got a favourite too, and that's when I left him, he was crying. I was crying. He gave me a plaque to put on my wall. It's in my office now, yeah. and it says, um, "Don't let the best you have done so far be the standard for the rest of your oh, life." Wow. Yeah, and that so the, and look, it just has stuck with me, and and so I end up leaving him to go to a um, a client of the firm. Actually, why'd you leave? Um, I just wanted a new challenge, and um, so I we had a lot of finance clients, and I went to become. Um, sort of a, a general manager of a, a client and I ended up in the finance game and so I started selling mortgages. <laughs> so what did you find happening in yourself? You, you, you start with Ralph at what, 22? Yeah. You've been told that you should type and maybe someone will marry you. You've got successful siblings either side. When you build that business with Ralph, what do you find is going on for you? What, what you well, there's... it was belief, I think. I think from, you know, starting off with him as a... Um, a secretary to basically being the general manager of his business and um you know how um, did you do that how what what did you do specifically oh, i just worked really hard I, I put in the hard yards i understood the business i and he because he believed in me mm. um you know i was all of a sudden receiving income that i never thought i would receive and i loved it um i loved um being paid well mm. and it was something that I never thought and I thought well I just can keep doing this and that's what I wanted to do um, and until the point where I just felt there was nothing else for me there to do mm. um, and so that's why I just wanted to change and so I went to this client and as it turned out um, this client then said to me a couple of years down the track we want to open an office in Canberra yeah and I said I'll go and um I came here and I met my husband on the first day I got to Canberra. Did you really? Yeah, that happened. Where'd you meet? Did you really? <laughs> Outside um, what was used to be called the Trist. Yes. yes. And that's um, not that, that. I remember that place. Yeah, and um, we were. Ha- I was having lunch with a friend, and um, my husband worked across in Murray Crescent here. Yeah, yeah. And he was walking across for lunch, and he knew my girlfriend, and wow. he stopped to chat. And um, oh, there you go. Yeah. So. There you so go. do you look? What's the interplay here between? God, the universe directing your steps and you're responding to opportunity. I mean, an opportunity is a big thing, right? Because It is. Yeah. It's, that's my favourite word. I know. So yes. you've done your research. I have. I have. <laughs> um, so I sort of look at opportunities and I think, can I make them work? Um, and I've had, you know, and, and franchising was one of those, for example, that, um, you know, Lollipots um, was born out of a customer who annoyed me. And um, <laughs> who will remain nameless <laughs> on this podcast? Uh, she doesn't live here anymore, which is probably wow. good. But she, um, this was a, a fairly big client of mine through Hamper Esque, yeah. and she she rang me one day and she said, "Look, um, we're not going to use your services anymore because we don't want to send hampers anymore. We want to send chocolate bouquets, and you don't do those, so we won't be dealing with you anymore." Wow. And I was eight months pregnant with my second child in the kitchen. No, I was at work. Pro- no. Yeah, okay. <laughs> No, no, that's going to sound terrible. No, yeah, that's because terrible. It's going to go, because I watched a video before and you talked about, in this video, you talked about being kind of eight months pregnant in your kitchen and almost crying <laughs> building this thing. Yeah, so, and yeah. Uh, wasn't, that might have been my first okay. child. Um, but I said to this woman, oh, well, I, I make chocolate bouquets. And I didn't even know at the time what a chocolate bouquet was. Really? So as I'm saying this to her, I'm Googling chocolate bouquets <laughs> thinking, holy hell, I need to work out what these are. Oh, my gosh. So... Um, and I said to her, yeah, we make them. She said, okay, well, we need four samples by Monday morning. And this was Friday wow. afternoon. And I just went into absolute panic mode. But 
Um, I always say fortune favours the brave yeah. and um, the next day there I was lying on the lounge reading the Canberra Times and there was a two-line ad in the Canberra Times which said chocolate bouquet company for sale, $5,000. We, um, we had Tim Kirk in here the other day from Clonakilla and he's talking about the birth of Clonakilla. began with his, um, his father serving wine underage in Ireland at 14, running the wine cellar. So I said, you know, Clonakilla is birthed in this criminal service of underage alcohol. So is it? So lollipops is kind of born in this moment of panicked lying, going, "Yeah, we did that. Yeah, we did that. We absolutely. can do that." And Google. So yeah. I, I want to ask you something <laughs> um, about that opportunity. Is so important to you now. I want I want you to define for us what opportunity really means to you. What it is. When that moment came, when this person said, "We don't want you," because. Other people in business would go, we're going to focus on our core. We're just going to do this. We don't do that. What is it about you that goes, oh, I want that too. I want to do that as well. What is, t- take us to your, the way that you experience opportunity. You, how do you perceive it? Why not leave things alone? What happens for you? Well, in that, in that particular case, it was a significant client and um, I wasn't prepared to let them go. Yeah. Um, it was do or die. You're not leaving me. I'm not going to let you take your business elsewhere. And, uh, <laughs> and everybody it. listening to this, just, you know, become a client and then just, you know, just, just move country. Well, I, I'd, I'd worked very hard on the yeah. relationship with the client yeah. and, and they'd been a client for, you know, seven or eight years yeah. and they spent a significant amount of money sure. with me and I was not going to let it go. Yeah. And I was not going to let it go for the sake of one product. Yeah. Um, but then what happened, you know, I did end up buying that business. I renamed it Lollipots and, you know, sort of the rest is history. But I think when I see an opportunity, I think, well, is it viable? You know, is this something I can do something How do you with? determine that? Is it a gut feel? Are you a numbers person? Like- uh, well, you know, even when I, I bought Pink Frosting, I remember... Because um, they'd lost 50% of revenue, right? They, they, uh, they just fell through the floor. Pink Frosting was a dog when yeah. I bought it. So I bought it with a business partner. We're no longer part business partners. But yeah. um, I was approached to buy the business and someone said to me, you know, can you buy this? I was approached actually four years prior to me buying it to buy it. Um, and then um, that was when it was turning over, you know, about $12 million, I think. Yeah. So it was a significant party business sure. in Little Canberra. Yeah. Um, but it had dropped off significantly and then um, I was approached to buy it and um, the opportunity was once I looked at the figures, yeah. I could see waste. I could see enormous waste. Yeah. Um, I could see massive losses. There yeah. were, it was losing a significant amount of money. When, but I could see just huge mistakes in terms of products, where the products were coming from. You know, I, I already had a relationship in China yeah. and... None of the products were coming from China and these were all being made in China. So yeah. the previous owner was extremely lazy in terms of dealing with suppliers yeah. um, and just dealt with wholesalers in the UK and the US and yeah. so was paying basically double premium, freight and, yeah, and premium, and prices, premium and and prices and then and not passing appropriate margins on to the consumer. So and um, customer it was all about, service issues too. Oh, me. dreadful. Yeah. I mean, and we haven't recovered from that. Yeah. It's very hard when you buy a business that has been in the very, you know, dark depths of, yeah. of of poor customer service. You know, I think there was 690 one-star reviews when we purchased the business. Wow. And it's hard to recover from. 
it's like a footprint, isn't it? But it, but it was the numbers. It was the waste that I could see, that I could turn around. Um, and and that was just on looking on. That was before I even got in the door. It was just this can change, this can change and this can change and all of a sudden you've got a profitable business. So what is that? I mean, for business owners listening, it's a, is it a mix of intuition and just business acumen? You can look at a spreadsheet and go, you know what, you've got industry knowledge is it all of that i think it's a mixture i think um i mean don't get me wrong it's come with some pain (laughs) so it's nearly three years since i took over pink frosting and it has come with some pain but it's now all blue sky but you know it's um of course you take a commercial risk when you buy a business that's in that much trouble and um so I want to yes. ask you, what yeah. drives you? Like, why when you see these things, other people be like, oh, "I'm just going to leave that alone." I'm just going to leave that alone. Yeah. What drives you to? to well, the, to the have interesting a thing about pink frosting was that um, the planets aligned for me. Yeah. Um, I already had a relationship with a supplier in China, and and a, you know, very strong relationship. Someone I could ring up and talk to all the time. We were friends. Um. And he had a business which I didn't – Leo, his name is, in China. He had a business that I didn't know much about. But it was a business that he talked about often. He just talked about the other business. Mm. And um, he sort of mentioned the figures that he was making from this other business and how he sold to a major client in the US. Mm. So when I was presented with Pink Frosting, the first thing I did was um, was email him and say – I want you to look at this business. Tell me, am I going to have trouble getting these products? And he rang me within 20 seconds. And said, you're good. Uh, well, he didn't. He said something far better than no, that. No, did he? Is he, it repeatable on air? Oh, no. <laughs> it's quite actually extraordinary. Um, he said to me, Louise, the products you're selling are my products. Oh, really? The products you're buying from that company is my biggest client. It's the big. So there's so, kind of like a double handling here. He's selling it into the US yes, and the UK. and that's what their previous owners were doing. And, and they were buying, buying it. it. Wow. But the actual products were coming from him. Yeah. So we were buying, Pink Frosting was buying from a company in the US. This cl- cl- yeah. company in the US was his major client. And his margins getting lost everywhere. And But the extraordinary thing was, you know, there's 1.4 billion people in China. I was going to say, you, you happen to have a relationship she, with the, the one, one person. So how do you explain that? Well, and that's... That was the defining factor for me. I thought this is Freaky Friday yeah. stuff. And um, and we started talking about, you know, what sort of margins we can achieve and um, and have been able to. Um, and that was it. it. For me, it was looking at the, at the numbers saying this is so much waste, so much we can fix. Yeah. And then looking at the upside of dealing with new suppliers. And yeah. like I said, look, it's been a hard road <laughs> and I wish in a lot of ways I didn't go down that road. Really? But it is blue sky now. Yeah. But it's, it's been tough. So I want to ask you some things. Uh, I asked you before in the questions, what do you enjoy about your work? And you enjoy quality products and services and getting those to people. What, define that. What is a quality product and service for you? Well, for something like lollipops, um, you know, I never really liked the chocolate bouquet. Yeah. But people love them. Yeah. And um, one of the things that drivers say to me, our drivers always say to me is, 
I love my job because I walk into people's office and, and I so deliver happy. these and people are so happy. And I think that's the thing about in terms of the lollipots business yeah. is that we're delivering nice, good, happy things. Yeah. And that has a really good feel about it. Yeah. And I like that. Um, and I like that our product is quality mm. and I like that I have very high standards. Mm. But And I like that people have tried to copy my business and fail because really? they're, yeah, oh, lots of people all the time. But I like... I like the quality and yeah. the service that we provide. In terms of pink frosting, it's entirely different. It's an entirely different uh, customer base. Yeah. So lollipots, you've got people who are sending gifts to people as birthdays, mm. anniversaries, get wells. You know, yeah. they're people who are thoughtful, kind, yeah. generous. With pink frosting... <laughs> <laughs> prepare, prepare yourselves, everybody. I, <laughs> I'm selling um, cheap yeah. party supplies. Yeah. To people who are um, shopping online for the cheapest for the price, cheapest price. Yeah. and they, I know while they're pressing checkout, putting things in their cart on my website, they're checking six other websites online, yeah. which of course the consumer can now do, and um, and so the end result, and I'm generalising, and I apologise to those wonderful customers we do have, yeah. but um, the end result is that. You get what you pay for, and yeah. that sounds terrible. They're getting cheap party supplies. Sure. Um, we take seven days to dispatch them because yeah. of the systems we have. Um, we deal with a huge amount of unreasonable people who think... Really? Well, well the, I guess the business landscape has changed so much in the last 10 years. Is it, the, yeah. the expectation it's, is that yes. I've ordered now, it should be dispatched uh, this afternoon. Yes, why isn't it here tomorrow? Yeah, and that's something that's, that's really, thing. really hard for us to deal with. Yeah. Um, so we do a lot of, we run a full print press and we do a lot of personalised products. So, yeah. you know, people might order um, personalised jelly beans and personalised chocolate freckles yeah. and personalised banners and invitations. For Jimmy's invitations. birthday tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> and they want them that day and yeah. they don't, there's there's a real disconnect in terms of their expectations and what we can do. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, yeah, so so I've found, I've actually, and, and Lollipots is actually order same day, dispatch same day. Yeah. Because we make to order and it's just a, a very streamlined, easy business. But pink frosting, because we deal with, um, you know, when I, when I bought the business, there was 47,000 items we sold online. Dear Lord. So we've reduced that down to about 26,000. So the back end must yeah, be... Yeah, it's enormous. And, um, and quite often that will mean that a customer has ordered, you know, 12 products from six different suppliers. And some of those suppliers... We order in special things yeah. and others. So you've uh, got to aggregate it where you yeah. are. Okay. And so it's not, it's not as easy as what perhaps people think it is. Mm. And, um, and, yeah, expectations are very different. So, um, you know, really bad, really bad reviews. Very rarely anybody says anything nice. Wow. <laughs> um, but we dispatch, um, on average, we dispatch about 120 parcels a day. And um, I'd say out of those 120, we get 118 right every day. Yeah. And out of that 120, we probably get two and then two mistakes or something's missing. Or, But um, because of the volume we deal with, um, it may seem to consumers that we miss an awful lot, but yeah. we do an awful lot right. I'm feeling so, so guilty because we're a cycling family and we have a huge number of bikes. I, I jumped online to buy this bike rack and I found this, this warehouse company in Melbourne on the 14th of May I bought it. 
it arrived yesterday, so it's almost three weeks. Yeah, it's not good, is the, it? Well, the courier, <laughs> the courier's lost it, and I would love to be sitting on this microphone going, "Oh, I was just patient, Louise. I just didn't mind. I understood they were busy." No, I was like, "Where's where is it? Where is it? Yeah, like, well, and funny. that's the thing. The expectations are shifted, and totally shifted. Right. And how do you um, manage? How do you manage that? Is it a case of leveraging technology so that? We've got your order. We're dispatching your order. Because yesterday, the courier, they finally sent me a thing. And I could turn on my phone and you can see the truck in real time. Yes, I know. Isn't it wonderful? Map. I know. It's fantastic. I, I love no, it. No, left. Look, they had <laughs> left here. So, Look, I, I find it really stressful. In fact, yeah. I find it the most stressful part of my job. Today, I received an email this morning from a bride. And, and we're dealing with brides. brides a lot of brides. Yeah. Um, her wedding is on Saturday. Yeah. And her parcel was dispatched a week ago from us mm. to Melbourne. Should have been there overnight. And she left it till today to ring us. Where and and But she didn't ring us to say where's the parcel. She dispatched another Oh, boy, one. did she ring us. And the, and the abuse and the personal attacking, oh, which I, yeah. I think is hard. And I, I don't think we used to be like that. I think... No, the expectation's yeah, driving a different I don't behavior. think. Yeah, I don't think consumers used to be like they are now. I think now. that's true. And, um, you know, even things like um, reviews, you can't, you know, it's, it's so hard because you can't control what people are going to write. You can't control, um, you know, the, the exaggeration yeah. or anything like that. And you can't make people write good stuff. As much as you ask, you know, we send a little packet of jelly beans out with every parcel saying, yeah, if you feel you. like you've done a good job, please give us a positive yeah. review. Of course, we get never get any. Um, but... You know, I remember we had um, on Lollipots, we had on our Facebook page the opportunity for people to provide reviews and we had a 4.9 rating. We had about um, 460 reviews. And one night in, oh, this is about two years ago now, one night a mother's group on Facebook, one woman had got on there and said she'd had a bad experience with us and they decided amongst this whole mother's group that had like 20,000 members to just all get on and give us bad reviews. Really? And so we end up getting 60 one-star reviews that one night. From now, people that have never used never the product? Never even used the product. And you can't get rid of them. You cannot get oh, rid of them. Oh, wow. And so it was devastating. And so, you know, your 4.9-star review has just suddenly tumbles. gone to a 1.9-star review and you just – it's very hard to recover from. So you, So I – I took reviews off Facebook and I've done that for both businesses you because to, I guess. you yeah. just have to control it. And, you know, consumers say to me all the time, you remove the negative comments we make about you on social media. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I do because I don't write negative things on your social media page. Yeah. So please don't write them on mine. Um, it's really, you know, it's really hard to manage. And yeah. I think um, dealing with that, dealing with customers' expectations, dealing with the way customers now approach us yeah um in is the hardest thing for me to manage and the most stressful thing for me to manage it's really uh, tough it's worth checking out i don't know if you've heard of them um there's a company on the gold coast called black sheep cycling they're a new brand and they're um what they're doing with packaging and that stuff's really interesting i think they're a company that's you know there's a lot of energy in the startup phase but uh, how they're doing interesting stuff in terms of managing expectations and their packaging's all quite interesting do you at what point do you go this is the nature of this business i'm going to have to accept this 
what part of you wants to go, no, I'm going to find a way to fix this. I'm going to make everybody happy. How do you let go of that? Well, it's really interesting because I, I have sort of got there. And I with lollipots, um, perfection is, is the only... I, is the only thing I'll accept. Really? Um, if someone's not happy with their product, they're getting you one. Yeah. They're um, absolutely, you know, we will fix any problem. Yeah. With pink frosting, I don't have the same approach. Sure. Um, people are spending, you know, uh, more on bread and milk than they are on yeah. their party supplies. Yep. And um, they're, we're sending stuff off in packages. And, um, you know, I think there needs to be a reality check. I mean, I, I do value our customers. I do want to provide good service. Yeah. But I don't fall over our customers like no. I do with lollipots. Actually, Pat was saying that yesterday, you know, that really the, the synergy culture is about um, his people first and then the client, I think, slotted in third mm. on his list of priorities, which is interesting to hear that. Um, I wanted to ask you, with all this complexity and difficulty why stay at what point have you ever gone i could go do something else i could why what keeps you in the game well i think my husband would like me to go and do something else he's he probably takes more stress than any of us yeah. but um why do you stay look i i love lollipots yeah. i love that business i do love it i it's my baby can i, I created can I ask it you something I about it. that one of my favorite questions i try to ask it most times comes from again from tony robbins who famously in his business seminars he's like he's got this mantra where he says you know he asks people when he meets them in business context what business are you in and then they tell him and then his next question is always what business are you really in i mm. always thought that was great an example he gives is people say i'm in the restaurant business and he said, no, you're not in the restaurant business, you're in the experience business. Mm, right? Providing those experiences. Ambience and stuff and creating a... Because people can get food anywhere. But mm. So what business is Lollipots? What is, what is the product? Well, it is, I guess, an experience, experience business because yeah. it is about, you know, people being wowed at yeah. work with this product. Yeah. And, and they are. And it's so ridiculous that just a box of chocolates, but it's a box of chocolates that looks like a bunch of flowers. It's done really well. That's, you know, um, people love it. And the brand is so strong in Canberra that um, everybody knows lollipops. And and that's something I'm incredibly proud Proud of. of, And I I have no reason to want to give that up. I love that business. It's a profitable business. And I enjoy it. And I've got wonderful staff. So... There's no reason for me to... Yeah. I don't have any issues with that business. Yeah. The pink frosting business has been a journey yeah. because I took that risk of buying a business that was going down the toilet. Yeah. Um, but it, and it's taken time to turn it around. But interestingly, when we purchased that business, only 4% of its turnover was from the ACT. Wow. And day one I said, I'm going to make this a great Canberra business. Yeah. And um, we've just moved into new premises, not by choice. We had a problem at our old premises yep. where we had a storm and the whole place fell apart. Really? And, yeah, so we had to move unexpectedly. But it had a silver lining yeah. because um, we're now about to open a shop front. Yep. And so my key focus now is to provide an experience where people can come and buy quality party supplies because not yeah. only do we have the cheap stuff, but we do actually import a number of... Um, quality um, ranges from the UK Um, and we want to give people the opportunity to come and see our print press and design their own party supplies and and really build and and so you know I'm I'm moved away from being this great online seller because it's too competitive sure you know I've got to compete with Amazon now 100% and 
and are moving away from this expectation that we talked about before that people are ordering last night and then the next day they're saying, you know, it's three o'clock the next day, why hasn't it been dispatched? Look, you know, listen to what you're saying. What would be interesting is I've got three young kids and so with their parties, my little boy, uh, we've, we've always hired smoke machines. So it started with girls' parties. <laughs> we have a lovely home, but it's like cranking this living area so you can't see Same. anything. And then lights and stuff. And just a few months ago, my little boy had his birthday and uh, our backyard, we, Karen went down to the cardboard recycling place and got these massive boxes and built this laser tag maze in our backyard. Fantastic. We've got, uh, and then we had all the smoke machines and I'm going somewhere with this. We had all the smoke machines and lights and it was, the kids had the best time. The reason I'm mentioning it is because the place where we hide the stuff, I won't name them, it was a terrible experience. Mm. It was like, it was, it was, you went out there and it was like, you couldn't find it. It wasn't signposted. There was no shop front. There was no sense of, um, you know, anybody in charge. There were two, no, no I disrespect. Know, I, and sadly, I know exactly who you're talking okay. about. <laughs> and there was three. There was guys walking around looking like they yeah. just, you know, come from a, a Colombian drug cartel. Yes. <laughs> and so everything, and I'll tell you, and everything was like, who's in charge? How do I pay? Where's the front? Mm. And then there was this poor lady, like, had to reverse a trailer in and trailer reversing is a skill and she hadn't mastered that yet and it was terrible yeah well i actually hire a lot of stuff from them and i have the same experience i'm not not sure they're going to be a podcast (laughs) guest in the short term but what i'm getting at is it'd be interesting to see if you could take the part that you do so well with lollipots which is the experience part of it and create a canberra hub where everybody in canberra knows hey we're gonna have a great party we need this we need and we need it streamlined and we need a positive experience like pay someone who's really good with humans to welcome people go, hey, what do you need? What are you here and, for? And that's what we need to do. I mean, remarkably, there's no other major party shop in Canberra. We could kill and, this, yeah. um, and so what I, the decision I have made is to move away. From, it's ridiculous, even in this climate, to say that I'm moving away from online. Yeah. I'm not moving away from online. I'm just not going to put all my energy into sure. online. Um, but a lot of our energy is going into making this new space yeah. um, a place where people can come and talk about what they want, speak yeah. to our design team, um, create their own banners, invitations, um, confectionery. Oh, yeah. We'll have a candy bar section where people can come and create their you own candy bars. You were going to nail this. Like. So it's, yeah, look, it's really exciting and it's probably the thing that's keeping me going at the moment with yeah. the business. But I, I did have to make that decision sure. that um, I guess it was when Amazon came and I thought, is this going to impact us? And it certainly has. Sure. Um, a and 200 pound gorilla in the room so. well particularly when your customers there's no loyalty yeah. you know it, with lollipots I have enormous loyalty with customers with pink frosting I have none yeah. there is no loyalty in party supplies yeah. you don't care where you buy your superman plates from yeah. it doesn't matter you just want the cheapest yeah. and you want them quick yeah. nothing else matters so it's it's a very different business and I've had to really um, adjust the way I react to things in the business because yeah. it is not it, there's there's I guess no um, personal connection with the customer sure. like there is with and, and listening to you in this discussion like your heart is with people and giving people great experiences and I hope I really think you could do this I mean my wife Karen runs a big conference in Sydney every year she's about three or four hundred women there and you know when you were talking then for her to come into a place with someone like you and, and talk about banners and this and that. Yeah, and this that. is what you can create. Yeah, yeah. Karen, Karen would like do that for fun. She would go there and go, right, let's build this. So I think, and especially Karen's got, you know, relatively affluent population. So yeah, I think I look, I'm confident it's yeah. going to do well. And, and really our suppliers, uh, 
you know, are salivating at the thought of it. Oh, you know, absolutely. they're saying, you know, why why has this not yet happened? Yeah. We've got other suppliers in in other areas who are just killing it, yeah. and um, and we want to support you to get it, to get it done. And so that's going to happen in the next four awesome. weeks. Well, and yeah, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, so, that is. So that's I guess you know you ask why do I not just walk away? Yeah. I have too much to do. Yeah, there's interesting <laughs> stuff to do. It's not, you know, it's it's there's lots of um, there's lots of positivity yeah. in the business, and and the hardest thing for me is that I can't wipe the past of the business. Yeah. You know, I can't wipe the negative reviews from from the previous owners. I can't wipe the fact, you know, the business was on the on that ABC show, the checkout. Ouch. I mean, it's just which is all. Re- before. Would you rebrand? Well, we thought about that when I bought it, mm. but you've just lost. I mean, it has enormous it online does, traffic. Does it? Enormous. And <laughs> you just can't lose that. No. And, um, you know, to rebrand would have meant we'd go down in our online rankings sure. significantly. SEO and, is still powerful. Yeah. And just so it's it wasn't really an option for one of the things that, you know, we had to consider, and I still stand by this, is, you know, um, 600,000 customers over 10 years, wow. um, probably annoyed uh, maybe 10,000 of those, yeah. maybe 20,000. There's still a significant amount of people who have followed the business who have yeah. not been dissatisfied. Yeah. Um, so it, my focus really now is to, like I say, move away from the online space to to the extent that I'm not going to be spending, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a week on Facebook advertising and I'm going to just really focus on growing a great Canberra business yeah. because Canberra supports Canberra and yeah, that's something and, I've experienced and, and ever you, since I've been in business. Your heart's with people, with humans that yeah. appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. Um, a few more questions. Uh, I feel we could go for ages <laughs> and uh, my family's got to remember what I look like. <laughs> I asked you about the hard stuff and you talked about, you know, cash flow and volume and margins and that's something all business owners could relate to. But the one that really struck me was I asked you what's one of the hard things and you said being female. Mm. Now, I've never been female and <laughs> I have no immediate plans to change that. Tell me about that. What's that about? Oh, look, I think it's something that a lot of um, female business owners juggle. I mean, I... Um derogatory comments from me really? oh god yes please excuse my ignorance because i I'm, particularly uh, in in things like banking and finance um you know i remember my bank manager came into the lollipop shop one day and there was you know 50 deliveries ready to go out and he said to me in front of my staff do these things actually sell you know and this is you know a business that went from you know, I bought the business for $5,000 and within two years the turnover was over $10 million Dear for Lollipops. So it had grown ridiculously. And this is my bank manager saying to me, do these actually sell? Oh, yeah. And I thought, you jerk. <laughs> Just, <laughs> um, I actually moved my business. Well, here's the funny story. I moved my business away from that bank. Yeah. And do you know what they did when I moved it away? What? They rang my husband and said, why has she left us? <laughs> Can I? <laughs> That's, I mean, what, what more do I need to I remember say? years ago before I was married, I lived with this, uh, boarded with this beautiful lady. I actually saw her today. She's very old now. She had a beautiful home in Deakin and a beautiful home. And they had this massive uh, oak table, like sat maybe 20 people. And the story she told me was um, he was, her husband who, who died tragically, was very high up in the Navy. And they're based in Singapore. 
and uh, I was asking one day about the table and she said oh yeah it was very hard to buy and I said oh, it was expensive or it was rare and she goes it was definitely rare but she said I went to buy it but um they wouldn't take my money and I said why and she said well they utterly refused to believe that that a woman could sign a check and she said come back with your husband to sign the check and I just went really so so what else what else have you experienced um, that's I've experienced it in terms of um male staff really? it's been really hard with a lot of male staff that yeah. I've employed um I've got a couple of great male staff now. Yeah. Um, a lot of um, men who I've employed as drivers or as warehouse staff um, have had a problem with dealing really? with a woman. How does it manifest? Just a disregard for you or...? Uh, just, yeah, complete disrespect. Um, I've had it um, across... I mean, in, in terms of franchising, um, I found it really hard. The franchise industry was just full of... Um, arrogant men who knew better. There's no very few women in franchising, very few women in franchising that have achieved anything um, of note. Really, there's just it, they just don't exist. It's too hard, um, and yet and you're treated with the same disrespect from the entire institution. So um, I found that hard. I I still um, have people say to me how lucky I am to have a you know business that I can you know, tie bows in and um, send little flowers. You know, they've got no concept of what we actually achieve or what we do. Oh, but, wow. Um, yeah, so look, it's just, I guess it's just the derogatory way people have spoken to me over the years and um, I tend to not notice it as much as what I used to, but it is it is certainly different in, in terms of employing people. Wow. And... Um, yeah, I, I really yeah, people. I'm a very strong woman, so sure. I'm very. I speak my mind. If yeah. someone has something to say to me, I actually give it back to them tenfold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people don't like it's it. It's like but Barry Hall. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> people don't like it. But you know, I am who I am, yeah. and um, and I am very strong-willed. How did you get to that? You just say there, I am who I am. I speak my mind. But this is the same person that was sat down at 15 and said, make sure you can type well so someone will marry you. Where did this change? Look, I think people, are, I don't know that it ever changed, but I do think um, there's something sort of intrinsic in people that people, you either have it or you don't. Sure. And um, it took me a long time in terms of franchising to understand that people couldn't be like me, that some could, yeah, but some just didn't have it in them. Sure. And that was difficult for me to get my head around because I was thinking look if you want to work hard you just work hard but yeah. people just don't just always don't have that 100%. I don't know where it's come from I have um you know one of the things I often talk about I get asked this all the time you know what what, what changed you and I do have a, a memory I was working after I'd left secretarial college I was working for a law firm and I think I was earning 155 dollars a week oh, yeah. I was really well off then yeah. <laughs> It's hard to believe now. Caviar, <laughs> but I remember this was when I was in Sydney, and I um, I was walking past David Jones, and yeah. I saw this beautiful blue handbag in the window of David yeah. Jones, and it was eight hundred and fifty dollars. And I thought, oh my god, I've got to work for nearly you know nine weeks or eight weeks or something, or yeah, something yeah. ridiculous. Six weeks, I can't even add up. Six weeks or something yeah. to to pay for that. Yeah. And I remember saying to myself, you're going to have to do better. I had a conversation with myself that day yeah. about that blue handbag. You were going to have to do better if you're going to want nice things like that. And that's the thing. I do like nice things. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so I think, I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. I just, I do think some people have it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I look at 
my two children. I know that my youngest son, he's got it. Yeah. My eldest son, he probably doesn't have it. He's very sure. conservative. He's probably yeah. not some. He's more like my husband. Yeah. Very hardworking, very good ethically. Yeah. You know, very strong person, but not probably the go-getter. And my yeah. younger son is just, he's me. He's just like, yeah. yeah. You know, he's, he's saying to me last week, we had an order for 600 chocolate bars we were doing for an event last Friday night. And Wednesday, he's saying, Mum, when are we getting the chocolates done? You know, do you think we should start them out? Really? We don't want to leave this to the last minute. You know, really? he's, yeah, he's 10 years old. And he's, he's like, yeah, he's... And because I said to him, because he, he wants to earn money all the time. Yeah, yeah. So he earns his money and then we have to go straight to Toy World at Fish Week to spend it. So he gets it, he, he goes. And so he's like, okay, so 600 chocolates. So how long is that going to take me? So do you think I can make $35? Here, I really want this Lego set, and he's really? got a picture. Yeah, and this, so he's he's doing weird. the figures, working out how long he's got to work for to get the thirty-five dollars, and then worrying about it, losing sleep over when he's going to get the work done. So he has got it. He's got that. It's just there. Yeah. I, so I, I just think it is. You know, you meet lots of wonderful people in life, and they're not all go-getters. Yeah, you make a good point. I've had to learn that. Like, and the other thing I think you're raising is in the other podcast stuff that I do in, in another space. Um, the whole question of adversity and just how humans deal with it like people tend to go to dependence and addiction and blaming or other people go to i'm going to get even i'm going to make something of myself and and the, the switch that triggers that is hard to know really what it is for people look it is and i think um i mean i've talked about a lot of positive things i haven't really shared all the the bad things that have yeah. happened but i've had more than my fair share of bad things happening business and um it's it's interesting that you know i somehow always remain positive and and my husband finds it very difficult and he's like you know <laughs> there's here, nothing positive here, here. here. throw this virus yeah. here kick this cat there's nothing positive here <laughs> what is wrong with you and i'm like oh no he's the you know he's the silver lining really um yeah and i always say okay well this is how we could be or this is how we can improve things um i've also had to accept that I can't change what other people do. Sure. So in franchising, you know, I had a lot of wayward franchises who I ended up in mediation with and, you know, it was it, when I was trying to exit them out of the business, it was very difficult. Um, and all I could control was the way I reacted to sure. them and that's something that I'm, I'm acutely aware of that, mm. you know, you can only control what you can control. Um, you know, I've had a, a business partnership that went very bad. Mm. Um, I couldn't control his actions. Sure. Um, I could control the way I reacted to yeah. them. And so I've always sort of said, um, behave with integrity and yeah. um, rise above it. Um, I believe in karma. Yeah. I'm a really big believer in karma. So I'm really around. waiting for something good to happen to yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I'm sure there's other people who believe in karma against me. Yeah. You know, there's probably fran old franchises out there. That Just <laughs> sitting in a dark room, yeah. pulling the wings off flies yeah. going. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't carry a grudge. Sure. But I have a very long memory. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I forget nothing. But I don't let it affect me from day to day. But it has, you know, it's certainly some of the adversity that I've had to deal with yeah. in business has impacted my husband he's found it really tough because he's not the same person as me yeah you know and that's people are different yeah they're just the architecture's yeah. different a couple of points in what you said there i uh 
I have a, a, a lady that used to work for me as a designer a long time ago, a really good friend still said, uh, we went, we had some difficulty in the business, one of our businesses a few years ago, and she said, oh, it's school fees. And I said, I don't understand. And she said, school fees? You know school fees. And I said, like with the kids. And she goes, no. She goes, school fees are what you pay to learn. And so she was teaching me that mistakes and stuff is me paying school fees, mm. what you pay to learn. And the other thing in what you were saying is um, a very wise woman once said to me, and you probably heard it, you know, that other people's opinion of me is none of my business. So, mm. so many of us can obviously get caught up, especially with all the online stuff. But yeah. the ability to go, I have to act with integrity, I have to do the best I can reasonably do, and the cards fall where they will. And yeah, that's a mental toughness thing, right? Look, it is. And, um, you know, I have a, a great mentor, um, a, a lady called Lynn Bazzullo, who yeah. she's a, a managing partner at Deloitte. Yeah. And I find, I, I could sit with her for days, years. Basque. Listening to her. Um, and the way she's so positive about things um, and she instills in me, um, you know, the fact that things could be worse. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember, uh, I don't know how long it was ago, probably 18 months ago when there was that dreadful accident, in, not accident, that guy had, had driven up Burke Street and run over all those oh, people yeah. and there was a lady from Deloitte who actually died. And, you know, here I was in my own world of pain dealing with all these problems with pink frosting. And she's like, Louise, perspective, yeah. you know, have some perspective. This is, I'm dealing with an office who've just lost a staff member who's been hit out the front of the building. You know, it's, um, but she always says to me that I have the most incredible amount of resilience yeah. and that I can keep fighting. And whenever I really need help, I just ring her <laughs> we have dinner. Just, just, I just need another counselling session. Remind me that I am a fighter, that I got it. But she's, um, yeah, she's probably the most amazing woman I've ever met. And funnily enough, we met through the Telstra Business Awards. We went through the process yeah. together in 2008. And, and, what do you um, most admire about her? Oh, just, I mean, she's probably the smartest woman I know. Yeah. She's the hardest working woman I know. Um, she's married to a, sort of a very high profile person. Yeah. She keeps her family together. She's got four kids. She's amazing. She's just the most incredible woman yeah. I've ever met. And I feel very fortunate to call her a friend. But she keeps me, she keeps things in, into perspective. And that's, that's the most important thing. Yeah. You know, it's. It's just a business. Well, yesterday I, I had to take Karen into the oncology ward at National Capital Hospital here for an, a transfusion. Luckily, it's not uh, for cancer. It's for um, she uh, she'll die when I say this, but she uh, she had to have an iron transfusion. She's celiac and all that sort of stuff. And so sitting in this room and there's just so many people there, you know, just getting chemo. And I'd never seen that. It was just interesting to, you know. And to notice that there were people walking out still being positive and still being happy, but you're right that, you know, business isn't terminal, right? Like we well, it's not. And, um, you know, I think anybody in small... If anybody sat here and spoke to you in small business and said, oh, everything's great, yeah. <laughs> everything's great, I'm making lots of money, I have, all my staff are perfect, yeah, thanks all for my time. clients Please write a book and here's the door. Yeah, um, it just doesn't happen like yeah. that. You know, small business is hard. And, um, and I actually... I wouldn't recommend it to anybody, <laughs> but um, but it's hard, and you need to have mental strength, and you need to have 
the ability to put things into perspective. So why uh, why build? Why build? Why not go I don't and work know. in government sector? Well, why? I don't know that I could ever work for anybody again. That's yeah. that's one problem. You right. know, actually, my husband said the same thing the other day. He said, can you just go and get a job? Yeah, I couldn't do it. And I just can't. I said to him, I just don't think I could work for anybody because... You know, within five minutes, I'd be telling them what to once do. You've, once you've drunk the magical Kool-Aid, you just <laughs> yeah. can't go back. I just, yeah, and um, and I see too much uh, opportunity yeah. and I see um, a lot of excitement in the future. Yeah. And um, I see, I, I have wonderful staff, you know, yeah. at Pink Frosting. Yeah. Um, when I took over the business, I, I basically had to move every staff member on. It was oh, yeah. shocking, but they just weren't because they'd been dealing with all these problems. I just needed to clear it out yeah. and get new a new team in. I did that. We've got wonderful people. Yeah. Um, so I have every reason to be positive about the future success of the business. Okay. Yeah. So that's. I wanted to ask good. you a couple of final things. Um, often with these interviews, I'm like watching the time, but I just think we go for ages, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> So I asked about the best advice that you've been given in business and what you said was a paradox. You said that you you expressed this idea of acting with urgency but having immense patience, which mm. is a paradox. Mm. How do you do both? Well, I think um, it's exactly what I'm doing now. Um, so you execute fast? Yeah. But you have um, the long, you have the big Yeah, picture. so, you know, my focus now, okay, we've just moved. We didn't expect to move. We've moved. Um it wasn't what we wanted, but that's that's exactly that's life. So we now have the opportunity to open a shop. How do I get the shop open? And then my projections for the shop are very small to start with, yeah. but they're large. Yeah. You know, three to five years. Sure. So um, you can't expect anything to happen overnight. Yeah. Um, and and everybody will tell you that in business. You know, and I think that again was a problem with the franchises that. They expected everything to happen it's very like I quickly. In, when can yeah. I get my yacht? Yeah. <laughs> where's my yacht? Yeah. <laughs> where's, yeah. my, where's my unicorn? Yes. Well, and that <laughs> that was a problem. You know, they, they looked at me and saw, okay, here's a woman with two young kids. She's, you know, she's got it together. Yeah. She's And they thought, I'll have what she's having. Yeah. And they just didn't understand that I'd put in, you know, 12 years of yeah. hard yards before that. Yeah. People don't realise how hard it is to get a business off the ground. Overnight and this is why they years. Yeah, and this is why they fail. Yeah. Um, I I do say that you need to just do stuff. You just need to make stuff happen yeah. and then the rest will come. And it and it's just like you say, it's building and um, you know, Lollipots is built and it still needs to be nurtured. Yeah. But it's built. Yeah. And it's a good it's a good little business. Yeah. You know, and that's why you asked me before, why wouldn't I give it away? Yeah. Why would I? Yeah, it's working. You know, why yeah, would I? Um, but pink frosting is now, okay, next thing, what do we do? How do we remove ourselves from the negative past? Yeah. How do we get this business to be great? Yeah. And um, and that was really about going to my suppliers and saying, you need to help me. Yeah. And they all got on board yeah. and it's been wonderful. And I just can't wait. But you must have built take. those relationships, right? Well, I did, and it was interesting because the relationships were in existence when I took the business over, and the relationships were not great. Sure. So I had to do a lot to of grovelling. Yeah. 
not really nurture gravel. <laughs> <laughs> do you like chocolate bouquets? <laughs> so, do you um, like yachts? I've groveled to meet people. Um, and I'm not ashamed of that. And I'm also, um, wow. I'm very open with people, yeah. you know, um, with suppliers, I tell them how it is. I, I, I've shown some suppliers our, our financials. I said, look, this is the situation. This is what I need you to do. Sure. You want me to build a business. This is what, where you need to cut for me and this is what I need you to do for me. Um, and I think that vulnerability with people is actually, um, I think that's probably one of my best skills. Tell them the being, truth. Tell them the truth and say, this is where I'm at. I need help. Um, I cannot, I want, here's our opportunity mm. and we can do this together. Sure. Um, and that, you know, now I have probably, in, in terms of pink frosting, six or eight wonderful suppliers who yeah. I have brilliant relationships with. Um, and it's a two-way street. Yeah. And, it's, and it's great. So I just need to build on that. What else did I want to ask you? Um, uh, there was We've talked about some of the significant people. Obviously, your husband's been a big part of the journey. And for everybody that we've interviewed so far, there is that often sense that the spouse <laughs> is the one that I rang Takes Karen today because <laughs> I've been doing a bit. And I'm like, I said, can I just have a quiet night? She's like, yeah. So how big a part of this journey has your husband been? Oh, uh, he's you know a huge part of it and he's suffered probably more than i have um and in terms of missing you because you're working or bit or he's a burden bearer he takes on he takes on the he takes on the worry um and he's not um you know he's a very conservative um person who um believes in me he Mm. believes in me a thousand percent but when you sort of have challenge after challenge after challenge it wears thin and um, and it's been hard for him to to sort of see me be positive all the time when he's when I, I, it's sort of you know one morning I'm I'm not so positive and the next morning I'm completely positive. Mm. He's trying to manage that and um, look. I just think it's hard. I think it's hard being in business. I think um, I think if he worked in the business with me, we'd be divorced because we'd yeah, kill each other. Yeah, Karen and just, I have very clear delineation. Yeah, there's no way we could work together. But I just think, um, you know, I could come home and tell him four stories from today, which are just ridiculous stories. And I've it's like water off a duck's back to me. And I'm sure. going, you know, this happened and this stupid thing happened and this stupid staff member and this and this and this, you know, all of these stupid things or painful things or costly yeah. things. And I've... You've I've debriefed. told him, and then I, I've actually completely moved on. Yeah. And then he's probably lying he's a awake. Oh, yeah, oh, you know. Yeah, there's so, definitely. So it's very hard for him. There's a fair bit of stuff in relational theory on burden bearers that uh, Karen's a bit like that. She just she'll carry it with her. What's his greatest strength? My husband. Yeah. Um, probably that he's incredibly loyal to me. Yeah. Um, you know, when when things happen and I have to come home and say, oh look. I just need another hundred grand to go yeah. and move the building. <laughs> An idiot. Or, yeah. um, you know, sort of, you just those conversations are never good no. with your spouse. So no, you go um, home and you go. Do you like surprises? <laughs> yeah, here's a bouquet. So, um, I actually thought about sending him some one of our. We've got a new bouquet. It's got these big chocolate freckles in them, and yeah. I thought maybe I should send him one of those yesterday because you know things are not, you know okay. having to have these conversations are yeah. not easy. Yeah. And it's really not easy when they're not dealing with the day-to-day sure, running. They're so, not quite. so they're briefed, but they're not fully briefed. Yeah. And um, and that's hard. Last couple of things. Uh, what are you most proud of so far? Oh, probably my two boys. Really? 
Oh, without a doubt. So you tell me about that. How have you navigated all of this intensity? How do you find the time? I always ask people this. How do you balance it? Do well, you balance it? I do balance it. And, you, you know, do. you say to me, why don't I give it away? Because I don't give it away because I can do whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, I take my boys to school in the morning. I drop yeah. them off. They're now old enough to catch the bus home. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, all of a sudden... All of a sudden, you know, I had this baby that I thought was never going to grow up and now they're in high school, they're yeah. teenagers and it just happened so quickly. Yep. Um, but, you know, I love who they're turning into yeah. and, um, you know, that's the thing. You, I just, I, if you, yeah, you ask me what I'm proud of, this it's business them. doesn't matter, it's just really? them. Yeah, absolutely, without yeah. a doubt. And right. and the Sydney Swans. And the Swans. <laughs> and meeting Barry Hall for two yeah. hours. Um, all right, let me reframe that for a second. What are you most proud of in your business life so far? Um, I'm proud of what I did with Lollipots. Yeah. Um, I'm proud that I took a small business, you know, on an off chance on a, from a phone call yeah, one day. Yeah, it's a pivot. It's amazing. Pivot. To um, buying it, spending five grand on it, and then turn it into an international business. That yeah. was great. Um, I was incredibly proud of that. Um, I was incredibly disappointed that franchising didn't work out. Yeah. Um, but... It is what it is. I learnt an enormous amount. I travelled to amazing places. I met amazing people. And I wouldn't change any of that. Yeah. Um, and um, that's probably what I'd have to say I'm most proud of. I hope maybe in three years or four years' time I can say I'm most proud of Pink Frosting and yeah. what I have done with that business because it has had to have a complete overhaul. It has had to... I've had to sit back and say... I can do without 30% of our customers, I yeah. can, you know, all of that, which is not easy. Um, and it is still a, you know, whilst it's a very positive future, it's it's um, been a very difficult three years since yeah. I bought it. Um, you never know what you're going to find when you buy a business <laughs> that's going down the toilet. It's like <laughs> it's like buying that old house going, oh, look at oh, some of these floorboards. exactly like that. You know, I remember one day... A staff member came in to me and she said to me, you know, she could see all the pain I was going through. I think we were only three or four weeks in. Yeah. And she said to me, um, oh, did the um, previous owners tell you about the store credits? I'm like, store credits? What store do you, credits? Do you like surprises? <laughs> you know, and that sort of, yeah, that's $60,000 worth of store credits. Uh, but that was that was a small one. There was lots of those. And, um, yeah, so lots of those terrible things have happened. But like I said, I took a commercial risk, but I have waded my way through the murky waters yeah. and um, and I'm really positive about where this business will be. So we just have to watch this space, I guess. And, um, and, and one of the things I said to someone on the weekend, actually, I said, if I'm not dealing with other crap, I can achieve anything yeah. and provide. And I think all the crap's gone from my life now. I don't have any yeah. business partners or franchise owners or buildings air. falling apart. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I'm pretty positive about what I can achieve on my own without having any sort of noise around me. Yeah. Last question for you is uh, I want you to imagine that uh, you're, you're speaking at an event and you've got 300 young business people in there, men and women, and they're starry-eyed and they're energetic and they're interested and you get to give them three pieces of advice oh, just gosh. three okay. and about life and business and the journey they're about to undertake what three things would you tell them okay i would tell them to expect no income for two years 
I would tell them not to ever go into a partnership. <laughs> um, and I would tell them to be prepared to work harder than they've ever worked before they could ever dream of. Yeah. And um, and I think that's the thing. You've got to be able to, you know, you've got to have capital in your business and you've got to be able to survive without... And even during those tough times in your business, you know, when things might, for unexpected reasons, not go whatever way you'd like them to go, you need to be able to work out a way of surviving through those periods. Yeah. Um, and just, um, yeah, be very wary of who you get involved with. That's probably it. And just work hard. Work really hard. Yeah, because if you work really hard, not many people you know that work really hard, who work really, really hard at what yeah. they do, that aren't successful. I have a friend in um, Sydney who's an ex-McKinsey guy and he's been incredibly successful and does amazing stuff. Good man, five kids, great marriage. Very, very proud to call him a friend. But I tell people he's a cyborg. Like, I don't know he's human. His capacity to go and to go yeah. and to go. And I, in my career, I, I was, you know, as a speaker and stuff globally, I kind of, I didn't, I wouldn't, wouldn't have thought this, but talent, if you can speak and communicate. And I, and I had some of that. But really, I've come late to what you're saying, which is you, you can't fake the work component. You just have to do it and get it yeah. done. Yeah, there's, um, there's, there's no one else is going to do it for you, yeah. you know, and that's... Quite often when my staff will say to me, you know, oh, you're in on the weekend, I'm like, well, you know, the fairies are not going to do it. <laughs> the fairies do not come in and do a, this work. I did and a radio interview today and shared this, my favourite quote at the moment, you probably heard it too, is just, no one can do your push-ups for you. Mm. I love that one. It's yeah. like, and the other one is, no one's coming to the rescue. It's been big for me the last six months is, what if no one's going to show up? What if, you know, the perfect client or the perfect circumstance doesn't happen? Then what are you going to bring? Well, the and that's what I was saying earlier that you yeah. have to be prepared for um, what if it doesn't happen, you know? But you need to have a plan B and yeah. you need to be able to. I know it sounds, you know, it's a buzzword, but you need to be able to pivot and say, yeah. okay, well, what do I do now? Yeah. And how do I, how do I make this situation work for me? And I think one of the things that I have been particularly good at is. Um, adapting to change. Use the pivot and yeah. the opportunity. And just saying, okay, well, you know, this hasn't worked, but this, it, I see that this will work. Yeah, oh, look, and I want to wrap on that. And I want to say to the people listening, like, what I've taken from this is around opportunity. Um, Tim Kirk talked about curiosity and risk, and I think you brought a lot to us today around opportunity and just saying, you know, for all of us to open our eyes. I think business people are a crucial cultural resource that, that build the wealth of the nation. And I think we. You know, when I read your thing, I thought, yeah, that's a, where do I, do I look for opportunity? Where, where am I looking for it? So thank you for bringing that to us. And the other thing I want to say is I think you're very courageous. Oh, thank I, you. I just read your stuff this morning and I was like, there's a fighter here and I think you've been really courageous and uh, you've, you've just stepped up and lived life fully mm. and you're building something really cool and I really hope you win and uh, I hope I do and I want to send Karen out there to buy all your stuff and <laughs> yes, she'd love to do. meet you so in the show notes we're going to put links to everything you're doing and if you. all the listeners please uh, if there's someone you love and there better be um, <laughs> jump on Lollipot's website and, and grab them something awesome just to show them that you love them and support this great local business and support Pink Frosting for all your party needs and all this stuff will be in the show notes we'll put all that there yeah. Thank you for the courage. Get home to those two boys mm -hmm. and to your patient and uh, <laughs> supportive husband, husband. Have a long glass of wine. But thank you so much for making time You're for welcome. us today. Really appreciate Anytime. it. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Louise.